You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. How many of you are professional worry warts? A couple of you. You used to be. How many of you just lied and you really are a professional worry wart? You just didn't want anybody to know about it. Well, I'm here today to help you get rid of your worry. I've got a team of people and they're passing out $100 bills so you don't have to worry. All right. We're going to make it rain in here today. One of the things we worry about is money, isn't it? As a matter of fact, most of our worries in the 21st century, we're still in the 21st century, right? We're not in the 22nd yet. COVID's messed my brain up. I don't know where we're at. So here, I'll I'll share it with you guys. Y'all just go for it. Yeah. Um, We worry about a lot of things, but it seems like money is one of them, or it's central to a lot of our worries. We worry if we're going to have money to feed, we're having enough money to house, enough money to clothe, or whatever we're going to possibly do. We need to, to have money to be a part of it. But there's other things that increase our worry during this season. Family expectations. Um, holidays, the news seems to always just kind of get us. And then the social things you see online, you realize that your family is not as good as everyone else's family. When you see Facebook and stuff, everyone else has a perfect family. You don't, right? You kind of deal with those things. And so all these different things that we have to worry about. And so this morning I gave you the $100 bills so that you can remember that you don't have to worry about it. Your father is taking care of all of your needs. And so this morning, as I'm teaching, what I want you to do is, as you're already thinking about this, you're thinking about, man, I have a lot of worries and this fake hundred dollar bill that Pastor Chris has given me is not going to help. What I want you to get is this, is that God the Father is intimately concerned about your daily needs. And one of the ways that you can possibly do that is this morning, as I'm teaching, I want you to take the pen that's in front of you. Hopefully the people from the first service didn't take it with them. If not, um, if so, reach around. But there's some pens in there. Take that pen. And as I'm teaching, I want you just to say, God, I want you to remind me of the things that I've worried about this week. What are the things that I'm worried about for next week? And just begin to write them on that $100 bill. And a little bit later on in the service, you're going to have an opportunity to release those worries from yourself. You'll tear the $100 bill in half. You'll have the reminder that you don't have to worry about it. And the other pieces that you're going to be giving away. Does that sound okay? All right. I didn't get that big of a raise or Christmas bonus that I can give away real hundred dollars bills, but here we go. All right. So we're going to be thinking about this idea of worry. And what are some of the things that you guys worry about? Shout them out. Health. Money. Extra stress. Food. Children. Marriages. Jobs. Being single. Yeah. Where do our worries come from? All right. The evil one. Expectations, right or wrong. Yeah. All right. So there's all these different things that we worry about. And all of these things have a source. And most of the time that source is the evil one. But it also gets to the fact of a source of a lack of trust. That our Father, that God is going to take care of us. And maybe because there's been a situation in our life where there's maybe been some stress, there's been some trauma, 
there's this outside or internal pressure. Maybe you grew up in a home where you had pressure that your life had to be like this and you had to make this kind of income or you had to have this kind of a career, whatever it may be, or your life had to be certain things. And so you're working hard to pursue something to maybe not even give value to yourself, but to give value to other people around you. And so we have this outside and internal pressure. And then at times we have a perceived or actual loss of what we think are our rights and our privileges. Because our parents told us that or whatever we've read or whatever. And we think that we have rights and privileges that may or may not actually be our rights and privileges. And so if we've lost those, then we begin to worry about it. So as we continue our series on emotions, the seasonal emotions, we've talked about anger, we've talked about grief. And today we're going to talk about worry. But I don't want to focus on worry because we are really good at worrying anyway. I want to talk about what the Bible says is the opposite of worry, which is peace. And so this morning, we're going to think about this idea of peace. And when we do it, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to see how we can have peace in our relationships. We can have peace in our circumstances. And we can have peace internally in our heart and our mind. And in the book of Philipp- the Philippians was written to the city of Philippi. And Philippi was a very wealthy city. And um, one of the reasons is because it was heavily fortified by the Romans. And a lot of the military, when they retired, they went there. So it's kind of a, a resort city. So imagine someone going down there and there's these, all these retired people, maybe Florida, right? One of those places. And everybody's there and they got lots of money. And the thing that they worship because of all their money and success came from the government. They actually worship the emperor. That was the worship that they had. They didn't worship Yahweh or any other gods. They worship the emperor and they would bow down and give offerings to them. And so a few years before the book of Philippians was written, Paul and Silas on a missionary journey had gone through Philippi and had shared the gospel. And in sharing the gospel, a church was started. Now, the interesting thing about the church at Philippi was that it was a church that was led by women. So when Paul and Silas went to Philippi the first time, they went to go. And it's Paul's um, strategy for missionaries, for his missionary journeys. He would go into a city and he would go to the synagogue. And if there was not a synagogue, he would then go and find where is there a group of God-fearers, those who proclaimed to be worshipers of Yahweh, but there weren't enough male Jews to have a synagogue. So you had to have 10 male Jews to congregate and have a synagogue. So Philippi, a city of thousands of people, did not have at least 10 male Jews. So there wasn't a synagogue. There wasn't a place that people were gathering in a building for worship. And so they were going and they were meeting this group of ladies. Lydia was one of them who was a seller of purple. She was very wealthy. And some other ladies would gather by a river and they would have worship together. And Paul heard about this. And so he went with Silas and his crew and they met them and they shared the gospel. And Lydia and her crew became followers of Jesus. And Lydia has so wealthy, she had a big enough house that the church began to meet there and began to grow exponentially. And again, one of the interesting things, too, was in the city of Philippi, where there were a lot of women that were in upper leadership, that were governors and, and mayors and all that of this place. And so women were very important to the culture of Philippi and this church, the beginning of the church. And so we're going to get into that, and you'll see why that's important in here in just a moment. And so Philippi... Philippi is a great city, and Paul had gone through with Silas and had reached the people. Well, in the meantime, in another series of Paul's events, he's now in prison. 
So here Paul is in prison, and he's writing back to the people that he's reached years ago, and he's sharing with them, you should have the central thing, the central characteristic of you as a follower of Jesus is that you should have characteristic of joy. That you can have joy and peace in the midst of your relationships, in the midst of your circumstances, and that you should have peace and joy internally. And so he finishes his book. He's finishing up his book to the to the city of Philippi, and this is what he says to them is have joy and peace. So verse 1 of chapter 4 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Dear friends, you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, Yodia. And Syntyche, this is a really cool girl names. So if you're thinking about what you could name your girls, this is one of them. Write them down, right? Uh, Jehoshaphat's another one. You got that one in there. Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Can you imagine a disagreement in church? Here are two ladies that are in the middle of a disagreement. And we don't know why they disagreed. Who knows? It could have been over fried chicken. Some ones was better than the other ones. I don't know. Whatever. They brought different things to the potluck and somebody liked it. Somebody said something. It could be one person chose carpet and the other one got to choose paint and they were both wrong. Who knows? It doesn't matter. What Paul says, settle your disagreement. These women leaders and Lydia were common in Philippi. Settle your disagreement, okay? And I ask you, my true partner, so he's talking to the pastor there in the church, to help these two women, for they worked hard for me in telling others the good news. So here are two ladies who have been active in sharing the gospel, who have been active in the church, who have been active doing what they're called to do as followers of Jesus, and somewhere along the way, they paths cross in a way that their feelings got hurt, and a disagreement happened. And so why is Paul saying, settle your disagreement? Because people are watching. And so here these two leaders, these two ladies are leaders and people are watching and it's having a ripple effect within the church. It's having a ripple effect within the community. People are saying, hey, well, if they can't get along, then surely we can. And so it just begins this ripple effect. And so their intentions were good. They were about good things, but somewhere along the way, they got their feelings hurt and things began to happen. Verse four, always, this is a command, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considered in all you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. So here Paul draws in. He says, I want you to to get along. And the reasons I want you to get along is because I want you to be considerate of what people are watching and thinking and seeing about you. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. Kind of a little extra. The Lord is watching in the midst of all this. Don't. Again, a command. It's an imperative. Don't worry about anything. What are you supposed to worry about? Nothing. No, it says anything. Don't worry. No, I'm kidding. Don't worry about anything. Now, our natural human stance is we run to worrying. Paul says, instead of worrying about everything, pray about it. But we've been taught, this is our American deal, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get another job, get a better education, get whatever. You can solve your situation. And in some ways, yes, true, but... Paul here is saying, quit worrying about all these different things that are outside of your control. Pray about them and give them to your father who cares about you. He surely can handle getting you the $100 bill that you need or whatever it may be in your life situation. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Some of your translations will be like, Above and beyond your human understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting them into practice. All you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Now here, Paul is using discipleship language. He's saying, listen, I've been with you. You've sat with me. You've literally sat at my feet. You've had these experiences. We've walked along together. We've gone house to house. We've knocked on the doors and shared the gospel. We've shared what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've received it. You know it. Continue to put it into practice. For those things that you put into practice, you begin to live. And as you begin to live them, they become natural to you. And so here, Paul, in the very last verse here in chapter verse 9, he's saying, all of these things that I just talked about, if you put these things into practice, then you will have peace in your relationships. You will have peace amidst life circumstances. Even though life is going to heck in a handbasket, you can still have peace and joy. And you can have peace in your heart and your mind and your soul if you put the things that I've taught you into practice. So let's go back through these verses real quick. Verse, the first thing that I want you to get is that you can have peace in your relationships. Now, here's one thing. Peace, biblically, does not mean the absence of conflict. Peace, biblically, means that you're able to live out a healthy relationship to its fullness. In other words, if we are humans and we interact with each other long enough, we are going to have conflict. And that conflict, many times, is not bad. It's actually good because it strengthens us. As iron strikes iron, it sharpens us and it makes us better. It gives us a different perspective and a different view. Again, because we understand within the Christian community, our desire is not to hurt one another, not to harm one another, but to build one another up. And so if you've ever been to the gym and you have resistance... That's conflict. And that conflict is good conflict. Why? Because you're strengthening, you're struggling, you're doing things so that you can become stronger and better. And relationships are the same way. So conflict, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a healthy relationship lived to the fullness. Because if you don't want to have conflict, then just be alone and never have any relationship with anyone. And so here, Paul, in this passage, verse 2, he says, Now I appeal to you, Odia, and since I please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. We all have baggage. One of the things that I talk to couples whenever they come to me and they're in love and all the different stuff that's going on, and they're excited about, oh, we're, uh," you know, the little flutteries and all this different stuff. And it's like, oh, it's great. And one of the things I tell them is this is awesome, but let's you are like a train wreck, two trains coming to each other. And in about a month, it's called a honeymoon. There's a cycle of the moon. You are going to think, why in the world did I marry this person? Because they put their socks up. They don't put the toilet seat down. They don't whatever it may be. We come into marriage relationships and any relationship with baggage. And so we have assumptions. We have interpretations. We think they should be doing this. And why don't they do this? Because you grew up in a family that was like this and they grew up in a family that was like this. You're coming together and boom. And you think it's going to be magical. Well, it's not magical. It's a horror show. Right. And a big part of it is, is because we're not realistic about the fact that we have things to solve before we enter into the depth of the relationship, this marriage covenant that we're about to enter into. We need to unpack some of the baggage. And so is it any surprise that if we do life with each other at any level, any depth, that there's going to be moments of conflict? 
And again, that conflict isn't a bad thing. It's us sharpening each other and someone seeing something about us and us loving on each other in such a way that it grows us and shapes us more into the image of Christ. And again, conflict in this deal is a good thing. Peace is not the absence of that conflict. Always, again, a command, be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Now, this word considered is a God word. It's a God characteristic of followers of Jesus. That you have been with God long enough. You've sat around with him. You've had coffee with him. You have this relationship with him in such a way that he's rubbed off on you and you begin to look and act and think like him. And so what Paul is saying is, is there should be a characteristic of consideration, of compassion, of God type love for those around you. And so, again, peace in our relationships is not conflict, not the absence of conflict. But as we begin to do life with other people, we offer grace to them because we've received grace. We offer truth because we've received truth. And what does it look like for us to live life? And good, healthy relationships with the one another. One, there's truthfulness, there's honesty, there's authenticity, there's going to be good conflict. But there's also this consideration. And that if people outside of the church community see that we can do relationships well and we love on each other and there's those moments where we do disagreements and we come together and we sort through them and work through them, then people say, there's something about this following Jesus that's different. Because there's a tendency to get in conflict and to move away. And one of the things that we talked about several times now over the last few weeks is most of the time someone leaves a church not because there's bad preaching or bad music. It's because they've got bad disagreement with somebody. And they walk away from it. And the church, the world is watching the church walk away. And if we're brothers and sisters then we should be willing to fight for the depth of those relationships. This is a character of us to be considerate of one another, gentleness and compassion of God, peace in our relationships. Because if we don't have peace in our relationships with one another, so Scripture tells us it impacts our worship with him. Matter of fact, it tells us leave your offerings, leave your worship, whatever you're bringing for worship, lay down here at the altar and go solve your relationships before you come and worship me. That's how important it is. So one, peace in our relationships. The other thing I want you to get is peace in our circumstances. Here's how I envision this. How many of you all have had Lincoln Logs? Okay, you're telling your age. That's awesome. I've only seen commercials. Erector sets. Yeah, a couple of you. Legos. All right, everybody's had Legos. All right. How many of you all have stepped on Legos? Yeah, that's that's the most painful thing ever, I think. Worse than giving birth to a baby, I've heard. I don't know. So imagine taking your Lincoln Logs, taking your Erector set, taking your Legos, and building this perfect little thing that you've had. Like you've dreamed of it, you thought about it, you've got it all together, and you stand back from it, and you're like, this is it. This is like the picture on the box. You're excited about it. You're like, yes. And you begin to like have people come by and look at it, and you're like, look, this is perfection. And then all of a sudden, a toddler comes through and just kicks it and destroys it. That's life. Isn't it that we think that we should be able to put our life together and just have it in this little perfect thing. And then it's like, ah, this is life. And then, boom, somebody destroys it. So how in the world can we have peace in the midst of circumstances when life just kind of treats us that way and it's unfair? Scripture tells us, don't worry about 
anything. Because our natural tendency is that we put the little Lego house together, and if anybody comes near, we're like, whoa, 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 get back, get back, get back, back. No, 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 just look, don't touch. Don't experience it, just, just, just look. And here Paul says, don't worry. If someone comes and crushes it, like I knew that was going to happen. God the Father is God. He says, instead, pray about everything. This is interesting. Paul gives us three words here for prayer. One is pray. And it's this idea of mirror back. That we put a mirror before us. And that what, what we really need and the inner desires of us come out. Now, I've heard of these things where there's these mirrors that have like 50% like magnification. Have you seen these things? And they have the lights around them. And you get this. So you can see every single flaw on your face and on your body. How many of y'all are signing up for that? Like two or three of you, right? And so, like, that magnification is what Paul is saying. Like, this type of prayer is like, God, look into me. See me. See the things in me that I don't even want to see. And that's when some conflict happens, right? And so that that kind of prayer. So that's the first part of the prayer. And then the next one, he says, just talk to God. Tell God. Like as you're driving along, don't close your eyes, but as you're driving along, as you're doing life, have a conversation. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray always. How do you pray always? It's because it's just as you breathe, you're praying. Tell God what you need and then thank him. This is a part of prayer is to thank him for all that he has done. In other words, as you begin to think about, as you're writing down in this this $100 bill, you're thinking about all of your worries. On the flip side of all of your worries are the things that you can thank him for. That there are things in your life that you don't have to worry about, and some of the things that you do worry about, you should actually be thanking him for. Thank him for all that he has done. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage is that he talks about caring, that as followers of Christ, we should care less. In other words, that we should have this attitude of prayer in such a way that we know that God has got our back. It's not being like we don't care, but the last, the other, the flip side of the fact is that we trust God enough that he loves us and cares for us, that he's got our back and he's going to provide for us and give us exactly what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds what our minds can comprehend. Now, we know a lot of stuff now. We have the Internet, and so we're always Googling. We're doing all these different things, and so we can gain a lot of information. And so we're pretty smart people. So here, this peace... This peace that God's given us is, one, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So it's some, something that only comes from having a relationship with God. So Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So it's a fruit that comes from having a relationship with God. The other thing is this peace isn't something that's just a part of a deal, but it's a wholeness of our being. I think one of the things that we have a tendency to... to to lose is that when we talk about our soul, we think of this little receptacle, that there's this little container inside of us and that we think of the soul and that we say, hey, God has given me a peace in my soul. And so we think about this little thing that he's like, oh, okay, we've got medicated our heart and our soul. When in reality, our soul is our entire being. That when God breathed his breath into us, 
in the garden that he gave us a soul. He gave us life, not just physical life, but a spiritual life. And so that when he comes, the word shalom, whenever he gives us peace, he just doesn't give us peace to this little internal thing, but he gives us peace to our entire being. And so that we have a confidence, we have a peace, there's a wholeness about it. So the absence of conflict, right, isn't peace. But whenever we receive peace is that we know that we know that we know that we're good with God and that he's good with us. And there's a kind of a relaxation of our being because our father is good. Therefore, this peace can then transform and transcend our human understanding because we grasp as much as we can grasp is that God is God and we are not. And that many of the times the reasons that we worry is because we say, God, that's cool. I, I, I hear you. I understand. But I'm going to put you up on the little shelf right now because I'm going to do what I want to do and how I want to do it. And that's when we get into worry and anxiety and stress. It's moments of unbelieving. Then you will experience God's peace. His peace is trusting. It's this idea of accounting that God takes into account. And in his account, he gives us peace. So peace in our relationships, peace in our circumstances. And then maybe most importantly, he gives us peace in the depths of our heart and our mind. Philippians 4, 7. Then you will experience God's peace and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That word guard is the word garrison. It's a military term. And so imagine with me here, Paul is in prison and he's guarded by garrisons of people. Okay, so he's not even under house arrest. He's deep in prison. And so Paul is using language that he's literally looking at and he's like, hey, wow, this is this is great. So he's what he's telling us is that you, we should allow God to guard our hearts. So imagine with me that like Paul, we're in a prison, we're deep within and you're the king or queen of your castle. And so you get to come and go and do what you want to do, but to know that you are fully protected, that there's a moat, there's a drawbridge, that there's garrisons walking around, they're out, and there's levels of military protecting you. And that you have the opportunity to let the garrison go and work or continue to work. And so here Paul is saying, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that we have a tendency to do is we think that peace is a fluffy little word that we think about marshmallows and singing Christmas songs, when actually peace is a word of war and vigilance. It's a word of strength and vigor, that our peace comes at a heavy cost. Now, we get this when we understand military. When we want peace for our country, we spend a lot of money on our military. Why? So that the wars can be fought out there and not here. And so that's the image that Paul is drawing for us. He says, listen, if you want the king and queen of the castle and your heart and mind and the inner parts of your inner home to have safety and to have peace and to have all the different things that you're thinking about, the battle is not fought in here. It's fought out there. And it's a war, and it's costly, and it's going to take time, and it takes vigilance. It's not a fluffy little thing, and it costs God everything so that we could have peace. That's why this peace that you experience in Christ transcends the human mind. Because the human mind says, if I do this, this, and this, and this, I can have peace. And God says, listen, you can do this, this, and this, and this, and you're still going to have conflict. You will always have peace unless you say yes to Jesus. 
For God so loved the world that he gave everything so that we could have peace. There was a war that happened on the cross. And sometimes in the busyness of our life and the convenience and all the, the wealth that we have, we've forgotten that we're in a spiritual war. And so we relax and we let the garrison go. We let down the drawbridge and we let things into our home that we would never let into our home because we relax and we forget that peace is a struggle and a war. And then when our home and our heart and our mind begin into chaos, we have stress and anxiety and worry. It's because we've invited it in. And so here David is in the middle of a war and he says this in Psalm 61. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer from the ends of the earth. I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that way? That in the midst of life and seasons of life, your heart is overwhelmed. And here David, the king, his heart is overwhelmed. He says, lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you, God, are my refuge, my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. If King David needed a garrison for protection, surely our home needs a garrison for protection to guard our hearts. The other part of that is he'll guard our minds and our heart is the center of our will and our emotions and our character. And it's the source of our inner life that impacts our outer life. I mean, you, you know who someone is by their actions. And the reason you know their actions is what that drives their actions is what they believe inside. I can tell you what you believe by someone's actions. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the garrison stand at attention and protect the heart. The other part is your mind. That God's mind gives us an account and ability to count that up. And it's where our mind and our plans and our imagination comes from. And here's a, one of my favorite verses, Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, that helps us understand this military mindset about our heart, but even more importantly, maybe about our mind. It says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle. That keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. In other words, that there's going to be moments in your castle that something gets through the garrison. One of the guards fell asleep or someone forgot to roll up the drawbridge. And so something gets through. But in that moment, even in those depth moments, like you can battle and you can capture those things and allow them to obey Christ. But it comes with a war-like vigilance so that you can have peace in your heart and peace in your mind. And all this comes. One of the things about it is fixing your thoughts on things that are good, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. These things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Again, take into account what God has given Take into account as you see the beauty that God has provided for us. Take into account what God has provided for you, what you need more than what you want. Take into account who God is and how he does all the little details. Write back and think about all the different things for days and weeks and months and years, how he's continually provided for you and protected for you. Keep putting these things that we've talked about into practice. 
so that you can have peace in your relationships, peace in your circumstances, and peace in the depths of your heart, your soul, and your mind that covers over your entire being. Peace can rule our relationships. Some of you are thinking about, I've got family coming. You need peace. Some of you are in the midst of circumstances of life that really stink. You can have peace. Some of you are in the midst of stress and anxiety and depression and some different things that are going on. You can have peace. But know that it's a warlike vigilance. And it's not in your strength and in your power. Don't worry about those things. Pray about those things. Give them over and let God be God. Let's pray together. Father, we have lots of things that consume us and make us worry. Father, I pray that if we've put you up on the shelf, just kind of like, yeah, when I, when I need you, I'll get to you, that we'll pull you down. Father, maybe we've just been trying to do it in our own strength and our own wisdom and our own power. And now is the time just to surrender and to trust that you care for us and that you have great desires and plan for us, plans for us to just surrender to those. And Father, maybe you just need to help us understand the difference between what we want and what we need. Father, I pray for each one in this room that as they leave this place that They give over their worries to you. Father, that that $100 bill is symbolic of the things that as they rip it up, that they're giving that to you. And that, Father, that they will have peace that passes human understanding. And that their neighbors will see in them that their castle is well guarded. And because their castle is well guarded, that they have peace that passes human understanding. And they want to know how they can have peace in their home. How they can have peace in their life circumstances. How they can have peace when all the news seems to be contrary to peace. Father, I pray that during this season, that you would grant us that peace. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.